Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 23, the Apostle Paul is explaining to a church that he has started that he had chosen to come to them and to do so for free and not even take any pay from them. And he says, but I just want you to know this, that I'm, that I'm not boasting, but look at verse 16. He says this, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. I mean, the gospel is all of grace. It's about God saving us, right? He says this, for, for of necessity it is laid upon me. In other words, it's, this is not unusual that a Christian should preach the gospel. There's a need to do that. You, ha- you are commanded to do that. Yes, he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I do it, preaching the gospel against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. He's saying, you know, I've got to preach the gospel. Verse 18, what is my reward then? Here's his reward for faithfulness, his reward for preaching the gospel and going everywhere. That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men. Now he's talking to a specific group of folks he had been criticized heavily about an offering they had taken earlier. And he's just saying, I just want you to know it's not about me, it's about the gospel. So when he says, though I'm free from all men, what he's saying is, I hadn't charged you. Nobody made you put it in the offering plate. Nobody said, Paul will come to your church if you pay him so much money. He says, though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more. And then he talks about how he adapts his ministry, how the gospel is first. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. And to those who were without the law, these would be Gentiles who didn't have the law of God. He says, I became as one without law. And I love this little phrase, it's in parentheses, now not being without law toward God. He said, I still, you know, wanted to be a godly man. But under the law toward Christ, why did he do that? Look at the last phrase. That I might win those who were outside or without the law. To the weak, I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. I do this, he says, for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. As I said earlier, I had scheduled today on my preaching calendar to speak about God's gift of joy. And for those of us who know uh, Christ as Lord of our lives, Christmas should be absolutely full of joy. It should be a time of great joy. Why? Because it's the time of year when we really, really remember in a special way, in a lot of visual ways and singing and stuff like that, the joy of a Savior, the joy of being forgiven, the joy of knowing if we died because of Christ, 
we get to go to heaven full and free. And we don't have to worry about and fear hell. And we're forgiven. And so, so the joy of Christmas, Christ really does make it Christmas. At last, someone told me this morning the story of Ravi Zacharias. Someone was saying, and uh, us always, this silly argument every year about, you know, whether it's Christmas, Merry Christmas, or Happy Holidays. I don't really care which one you use because holiday, the word holiday, actually comes from the word holy day. And so have a happy holy day, okay? <laughs> it's a holy day. Why? That's what Zachariah said. He said, just don't tell the Christ haters that. But, he, but, but it, it's a holy day. Why? Because we have forgiveness. Because we, the Holy One came to this earth to live a perfect life, to die a death that would pay for our sins, and so we could be forgiven. So sure, that produces a lot of joy. But, but there are a lot of people at Christmas for whom Christmas is anything but a time of joy because they, listen, they know nothing. 2,000 years later after the event, they have never even heard his wonderful name. When I go to India, oftentimes as I tell people, have you heard of Jesus? No. Tell me about him. That's what they'll say. Let me tell you about just one of those groups of people. Six, seven years ago, I began to pray earnestly for a people group in Southeast Asia called the Gadaria people. The Gadaria people. They were classified by the International Mission Board as an unreached, uh, unengaged people group. And what that means is a lot of different things. Now, I'd never met them, and I'd, certainly they'd never met me, because in all their generations, the Gadaria people, all and that's about a million and fifty-three thousand people in that people group, in that one people group, a million and fifty-three thousand people. Now listen, in all of their generations, they have never met one Christian. Never met one. So they are listed as being unreached, unengaged. What does it mean to be an unengaged group? Well, it means, first of all, and that's on our first slide, it means this, to have no Bible in your language. How would that feel to you? It means not one missionary among you ever. It means no church ever for you to go to. And look how many we can choose from. It means not one known believer among you. It means to be without access to the gospel. If you wanted to hear about salvation, if you wanted forgiveness, no chance whatsoever to hear it. That was precisely the, the position of the Gadaria people. They are, it began to break my heart. People for whom Christ died, people whom God loves and for whom he gave his only son. And then I started boiling it down, stopped thinking of them as, as this group, and I started thinking about individuals. And that group of people, they're moms, they're dads, they're someone's precious children, someone's precious grandchildren. No opportunity to even hear the gospel, even if they wanted it. With a broken heart, I began to really pray for them. Globally, that's just one group, but globally, the challenge of these unreached, unengaged people groups, are it, it's absolutely staggering. It just blew my mind as I went through a list of thousands, thousands of unreached, un engaged people groups this morning, 2,576 groups, groups 
representing almost 300 million people without any access to the gospel whatsoever. It's not that they decided not to go to church and had the chance. They can't, there is no opportunity. They can't hear the good news in places like China, in places like Iran, and places like Nepal, and places like Togo, West Africa, where our church worked years ago, and places like India. It's just amazing. Now, you say, why? Why 2,000 years later have these groups of people, why have they not been reached? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. First, a lot of them are just in some really remote, difficult places. I mean, these are groups that may be tucked away in a mountain or a range of mountains bigger than we can imagine, and, and they're just difficult to get to. No electricity, no, no running water. I mean, some of them are just very, very difficult to reach, physically speaking. Sometimes, another reason, a heavy opposition to the gospel. Some of them don't want to be reached. They don't know God loves them, and they don't care, and they don't, they don't, they just, they, there's opposition from anti-Christian radicals. I just talked with a pastor, Pastor Raju, in, uh, from Mova, India, and uh, he told me, and he showed me, he showed me pictures of how the people there that were against Christ had taken some of the orphans out of their uh, compounds and killed them because they had converted from Hinduism to Christianity. That goes on, doesn't it? You see it on the news if you watch it. It's heavy opposition. It's dangerous to go. Sometimes because of that, the next reason is nobody's willing to go. You're going to give up your life that these people can hear it? You're going to give up the comfort of your life to really, literally risk imprisonment, to risk being beaten, to risk being jailed. And so sadly, sadly to a lot of groups, especially in heavily Muslim areas, people just are unwilling to go. Another reason that they aren't reached, why there's so many, is because mission boards don't have the funds to send people sometimes frankly, because the churches and the Christians in America, in Europe, and other areas that are financially well-blessed uh, don't give. I mean, we just don't give. The average person right now gives about 2.4% in America uh, of a tithe. A tithe is 10% of our income, and, and giving is down, and, and mission boards just don't have the funds sometimes to send people to go. I'll never forget one year serving as trustee at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we had over 200 and some odd people lined up, students who had trained for years and years, and uh, they were ready to go, and they were willing to go, and some of them stand up there, like that couple that we saw, maybe with their little kids, willing to go. Stood up when Dr. Danny Aiken said, Who will go? Who will go to reach these people? And they rose and they walked down and they said, We'll go. And they had proved that they were ready by their stand. And they had to be told later. And many of them came back and said, Why are you still here? No funds. 
International Mission Board. That's our mission mission sending agency. All Southern Baptist churches formed a International Mission Board, the IBM. This last year has had to ask 1,132 missionaries of the ones we already had on it. Now, we're not talking about sending more. We're talking about the ones that were already there, had already gone, and were in the middle of ministry. We had to ask 1,132 missionaries to come home from the field due to a lack of funds. And that brings our number of missionaries to the Southern Baptist Convention down from about 4,700 to 3,800. Sometimes these people aren't reached because there's no awareness. Many times these groups are the poorest of the poor. They're the forgotten people. You can imagine a people that's not reached and they're out and they're distant, much like the orphans in India. Um, I think there are about 10 million people in North Carolina. I think that's right. I looked it up a couple of weeks. About 10 million. So you think of everybody, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, you think of everybody in North Carolina, all the way from the East Coast and the Outer Banks all the way to Murphy. 10 million people, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham. There are over 30 million orphans on the street. Children, little kids. I get to see them. I get to hold them. I get to talk to them. I get to tell them about Jesus. But more people than we see in the state of North Carolina, 300. Think about that. Little kids. They're forgotten. They live in the shadows. Sometimes they aren't reached because of fear of failure. You say, what if we go there and they don't receive us and they keep us another day? And what if, what, th- th- there's always this in the American church. Why aren't these people groups reached? There's, there's an assumption that somebody else will do it. Some, if God wants it done, he'll, he'll do it. He'll, somebody else will go. That's not for me. You think about that and it is staggering, isn't it? It's staggering mind-blowing. So what do we need to do? What do we as a church, what do, you, what do you, what do we as individual Christians need to do? I think, first of all, we obviously just need to get a really new perspective. I mean, we just need a new perspective. And I think when we look at that, when I look at that, I know what I need to do. I, I think if we're honest, we would say this. Number one, we need to repent. We just need to repent. Now, that's a confusing word to some of you, and to most Christians it is, because the word repent is really often misunderstood. We often think that to repent means to change our actions, to stop sinning and turn from our sin, but it doesn't mean that at all, because actions are caused by our thoughts. God knows that, and when God says you should repent, to repent, that word repent literally means to change your thinking. To change your mind about something. The English word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. It's a compound word. Meta, meaning to change, like we use it for maybe metamorphosis. You know, meta, and then noia comes from the Greek word uh, knowledge or mind. And so it means to change your mind. In other words, we, got, we, we really need a change of mind. We, when it comes to world evangelization, we need a, 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 a change of mind when it comes to 
a lot of things uh, when it comes to this. Just now, just please bear with me this morning. I need this as bad as anyone. We we need a change of mind when we think about what's really important in this world. Stuff or souls. We need a change of mind when it comes to our personal and family priorities. And I need it and you need it. We all need it. Um, and, and one of the ways that you can work it is to ask this question. Because when we talk about 2,500 people groups that are unreached, 2.54 million people, places like Iran and, and uh, places like, you know, Yemen and, and uh, the Sudan and Ethiopia and Myanmar and places like that, we, we, it's so distant. But, but think about it like this. What if it, this will help you change your mind, what, what if it were your grandchildren or your children that had no opportunity to ever see Christ because we have God? Ask yourself this. Is giving to missions and God's work a priority? Is that a real priority for your family? If it's true that the Great Commission is God telling all of us, and it is, to go out and spread the gospel everywhere because every person is lost and separated from the God who loves them, from the God who created them, but He loved us enough to make a way back. And the only way to be saved is through Jesus. Do you really think that giving and working and praying and being engaged in the mission is important? Sure it is. So really ask yourself this. Has giving to missions been a priority in my family? You know how you can tell if it is, right? It's like how much have you talked about it? How much have you prayed about it? How much have you sacrificed for it? How much of your time and study has been engaged in this? Another way you could ask it is when we gave out the, the weekly thing and said, here, you know, for our, the little pamphlet, Last week, you know, week before last, for our week of prayer for international missionaries. And we gave that out and said, pray for our missionaries on the field. One a day for these seven days. Did you even use it? Is it a priority for you? Did you pray for the missionaries listed? Have you actually talked about or have you actually prayed about? Now I'm talking to members and regular attenders today, okay? Your first time guest, this is not about you. But have you, if you're a member or a regular attender, talked about or earnestly prayed with your spouse or your kids, or have you talked with God about it if you're single, about what would be a sacrificial gift, a sacrificial offering to the Lottie Moon offering for international missions? Have you really thought about it? Now, I'm just going to say it again just so it's clear because whatever you don't communicate clearly, folks can't do. So if you just put that gift in a regular envelope and you don't designate it, write Lottie Moon on there real big, it's going towards the regular cost of the church, which is a mission too. But this is over and above missions. This is where we say the cause of world evangelization is important enough. It's big enough. It's, It's small and important enough that those were my grandkids. I want to give something special over and above my regular offering. So use one of these bright yellow offerings 
envelope. You put it in there. We don't keep a penny of it. We don't keep a penny of it. This goes to engage missionary, uh, miss, to support missionaries on the field who engage unreached, unengaged, and some engaged peoples. I mean, we have to continue work, but but it all goes to missions. But I really do believe we need to repent of this. I believe we need to change our thinking. I don't believe it consumes much of our minds at all. It becomes very real to me when I get ready to go to the field and and everything. But 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 it doesn't engage much of our time and much of our priorities, honestly, if we're truthful on average. This next slide proves that. It should shake us to our core when it comes to the need to change our thinking about missions. I want you just to read it. desperately need a change of mind when it comes to reaching missions. Paul was writing to that church in Corinth and they were fussing about this and arguing about money and about that. And Paul said, listen, I haven't started you a thing yet, but one thing is what you're doing. That makes me free from all Myself, even though I'm free from all men, so that the hour that I might win more. What he was saying was, I haven't started you a thing yet. And I'm, I could have come here and said, Hey guys, I've had a lot of talks on getting here. Can we not with that? Hey, I have meals every day. I have to eat. And I have to put shoes on. And I have, but I haven't done that. Even though I'm free from you, I didn't charge you anything. I still, he said, made myself a servant to all. Why? You see this phrase over and over and over, that I might win more, that I might win more, that I might win more. That's the mindset of the Christ follower. That's the mindset that we need to have. Would you vote God for change of mind? Would you vote God? Follow as natural as night follows day. The second thing that we need is a new vision. A new vision that sees with the eyes of faith. Every time I look at world evangelization and I start really looking at the places that need to be found and the people that need to be reached and the dangers that are involved, I mean, some of these people are very, very militant. Some of them do not like Christians. And if I'm very honest, we'll all admit, if we are, that the task of taking the gospel to every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every human. Now listen, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, absolutely impossible, but we're not talking about doing this in our own strength. Paul said in verse 16, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. And then underline this phrase in verse 16, for necessity is laid upon me. See, God didn't give him a suggestion to go out and preach the gospel. It was of necessity. It was a command. 
He's basically saying, this task is too big, but listen, i got to go. I've had a change of mind because God says I've got to go. And listen, God never calls you where God will not provide. God would have never given the Great Commission to the church without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, and without His protection. You ask me, am I nervous about going to India? Yeah, in certain ways I am, but most ways I'm not at all. I'm excited. I trust God to get me through the tough spots. I trust God to keep anti-Christians away or save them. But one thing I know, whether they come or they stay away, if they come, they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will hear that there's a God who loves them, the God that they've been searching for, and maybe they don't even know it. But this is a God who does not ask for an offering. This is a God who gave himself as an offering. This is a God who died for you. This is a God who loves you. He is the only God, and he'll forgive you if you come. And that is something, listen, I don't get to do, I have to do. And I just don't do it because I have to, but God has said, I will go with you. And like Paul says in verse 16, woe is to me if I don't preach the gospel. I've taken a precious gift and buried it if I do that. So taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, going on a mission trip, supporting missions, giving to Lottie Moon is not some egotistical man-centered task. It's something that has been commanded by the Lord of love who gave us His only Son. And if He commanded it, again I say, He will enable you to do it. So what we need and all we need is faith. Faith in Him. You say, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we do not see. We hope for the day Long for the day that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. And, and that's going to happen. We don't see it yet, but, but I'm certain it will absolutely happen. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So we need a new vision that sees with the eyes of faith. We need to stop saying this can't be done. This, this is too big. You know, someone has said to save everyone is impossible. To save no one is unacceptable. To save one is even more. It's worth it. You know what we usually say, though, don't you? Well, see, believe them. I got to see it to believe it. But as to the gospel of Jesus, we need to say, I got to believe it. And then spend our lives, spend our lives going and trusting God. A new vision that sees the eyes of faith. How will these people groups that are totally unreached, totally engaged, be one to Christ? I'll give you one example of a people group that I prayed for that about six, six and a half years ago were totally unreached, totally unengaged. Remember, no Bible in their language. Remember, no missionary. Remember, no church in all their generation, one million. 53,000 people had never once seen a Christian, never knew the name of Jesus. A while back I was talking with a dear friend of mine who's one of our missionaries on the ground in Southeast Asia, and he actually was a member of the church I used to pastor. 
got called to the mission field and went to the IMB, got his training, got theological training. Now he's, he's in uh, Nepal doing work. He was in India then. I talked with him, and here were his exact words. I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. I was asking him, what's the state? How's the work going? What's the state of the work there that you're doing, brother? He said, we just marked off another 31 unreached, unengaged people groups. Did you hear that? We just marked off another 31. So he says, and I quote, So I'm trying to get more updated info, Pastor. Our biggest unreached, unengaged people group at this point are the Urdu-speaking Darji people. They're a Muslim group in Delhi and Western UP. That's the state of Uttar Pradesh. There are 1.1 million of them just in that area, Pastor. They're the caste that are tailored. And he said this to me because I always will buy a shirt when I went to India. They're the caste that are tailored. So one of them probably made this shirt. <laughs> oh, by the way, one of the groups that we're now moving and just moved from being unengaged to engaged are the Gadoria. mission field, actually on ground, not second hand, has been going there and working with them and getting them. And I've been praying for them. And listen, now listen, here's how it's going to happen. Today, right now, as you sit here, they have the scriptures in their lap. I checked recently, and some of the Gadarian people have accepted Christ as Lord. There are even a few house churches springing up, and those churches are now sustainable, viable, and they're reproducing. They're enjoying the Lord's Supper, baptizing their own believers, and sending out missionaries to lost people. And that, to me, is a Christmas gift worth celebrating. That is worth doing. That is worth investing your life in. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he tells them, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. The word that he uses there for servant is a Greek verb. It's literally a verb, and it says this. It's not a noun. It's a verb. Uh, it, it means I have enslaved myself to all. It tells us that he had a missionary heart, that he is so driven by uh, the desire passionately to love God and to love others and spread the word to everyone he meets at all costs, that he just considers that his life is, 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 is that, that he has enslaved himself to that. So what does that mean? He sets aside his own desires, his own wishes, his own comfort for those who need Jesus Christ and the salvation that only Jesus Christ can do. I'm so thankful for you. I mean that. This is a giving church. I don't think I've ever seen a church that loves people like this church loves people and actually carries it out in tangible ways. Every time, every year, 
happened this year. People come up to me and say, we're family, but we can help at a distance. I'm so great, grateful for that. So grateful. Got to help some families this week. Get to help some next week. But, and don't ever stop that. Please, that's so important. But can I say to you, that without a doubt, one of the, the no, excuse me, the greatest gift you and I can give to another family this Christmas would be the gospel. To give the gospel, the good news to a family that's never, ever heard the name of Jesus. So what I'm doing, the reason I changed my topic for today is that by all means we might win some people. So that by all means people might hear of Calvary. That by all means they might not perish. That might by all means they might hear because of Jesus. Because we have enslaved our people to them all. We have, we have given, we have paid. So I'm going to ask you, if you're a regular member, if this is not for first-time guests, primarily directed to you, we just want to bless you. We, we, you are, we are not here for your money. I promise you. I give you my word. That would be the opposite of what I've talked about this whole time, right? I've been talking about us giving this outside of this church. But here's what I want to ask you. If you're a member or a regular attender of this church, I want to ask you, in, over and above your regular giving, would you really pray this week and prayerfully would you really just ask God, God, what should I give? What is a sacrificial gift? What's something that, that is, is worthy of the gospel? And would you bring a truly generous, sacrificial gift, either tonight or Wednesday night or Sunday morning or Christmas Eve? I think we'll just let our whole offering on Christmas Eve go for Lottie Newman. Our church is doing good financially. God has blessed us. Please make sure. We really are. God has blessed us. You understand that? Our church is in great financial shape. We can reach, Casey, a goal of $15,000. It took Kim last year and we reached thirteen. We can do it together. And I promise you, I will lead the way. I will give. My wife and I, she asked me this morning, we talked about it. What do you think you ought to give? I said, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ready to. I need to pray about it. i got to go to India, but i got to pray about it. doesn't matter what else I've got over here. I've got to reach the world for Jesus. Amen? You've got to now. And don't think, well, my gift is so small it won't make any difference. Yes, it will. You never, ever know. Your dollar might be the one. Your $5 gift, your 25 cents could might be the quarter that, that helps get the gospel right across the finish line to a group of people. You never know what God will do. So I don't have any goal for our church that we grow in grace. This is not about finances for our church. I, nor anyone else in this church, receives one penny from this offering, not a penny. But to the glory of God, I'm going to ask you, please be a generous church. Marked by generous people. Marked by radical, radical generosity 
the same way the life of the Lord Jesus and his death and his resurrection are marked with radical, radical, radical change. And let blow that gold out of the water, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. Take anything you would spend on me or my family and please give it to Bobby Boy. Please give it to the light of Milwaukee. Please. Because the nation thirsts for Jesus. And we fight more for this world than we do heavy message for me this morning, Lord. I, I'd rather come in here and make everybody happy and <laughs> cheer everybody up. It's my nature to be that way, and I don't want us to be sad. The only cure for this type of sadness, Lord, is, is cheerful giving. When we're obedient, we don't have to bear guilt. When we're obedient in this area, Lord, we don't have to beat ourselves up. And we shouldn't do that now. We should just get obedient. So, Lord, I pray right now that you'll speak to Kim and I about what a sacrificial, faith-testing amount would be. I pray that you'll speak to every person here. I pray that this week would be a week of serious seeking your will. I pray that tonight when we come, we would give. And I pray that Wednesday night and Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, we would give. Your name would be glorified. More people be blessed today that hear, believe, and go tell others.